What defines crazy? One way Urban Dictionary defines crazy is someone who will go against the rules. A person who acts in a manner that normal society does not approve of. We would add that crazy can be defined as enigmatic, meaning mysterious or speaking in riddles, often misunderstood. God tells us in Isaiah 55, 8-9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Yet even though he is enigmatic, he tells us in seven places in scripture that if we seek him, we will find him when we search with all of our heart. Journey with us as we seek him and explore the evidence that confirms God be crazy. In March of 2018, you and I had planned to get together because my then husband and my children were gone on a trip um, and we were going to get together to work on a book that we'd mm-hmm. been told to write. We'd been told to write the, a book about um, actually the first two episodes of this podcast yeah. entitled, well now it's entitled Sexual Abuse, Angels and Demons. Oh my. Yeah. Yeah, that's a load. So after that happened, he independently, the Holy Spirit independently told us both that we were to put the things that we had seen in a book. And so we had, I mean, just, it was a push-pull thing for, (laughs) it still is, you know, we're still writing that. But um, at this point, March of 18, it had been, goodness, six years, I don't know, I don't know how many years, Um, and we were getting together to talk about the book and put things down and get going with that. And you came over to my house and you were weird. <laughs> you were like, you were there. Well, that's one way to put it. Yeah. You were, you were physically present, but emotionally very distant and reluctant and didn't want to talk to me and didn't want to engage me. And I was like, what is the freaking deal? Like we, God told us to write this book. Let's go, you know, and I'm the scribe, you know, I write the things down, our conversations, Mm -hmm. I write, you know, I keep logs of everything and details that I feel like we're supposed to, we're supposed to include. And, and so we got together and, um, just for conversation and to see where that, that went, um, I was painting, I was chalk painting some furniture while we were trying to have these conversations. I remember sitting in the floor of my kitchen chalk painting this furniture and you're sitting at the kitchen table and almost like not even there. Yeah. Checked out or just you looked reluctant and scared and aloof. And I was just frustrated because, (laughs) you know, whenever I get given a task in regular life, not even from God, but whenever I get given a task, I'm like, let's go. I am type A organized. Let's make a plan. Let's get there. (laughs) I'm going to go from A to B in the most seamless way that we can do that. And that's not how God rolls. I've figured out in all this time (laughs) is his ways are not my ways. My ways are not his ways. And he was going to take, he, he, he refines things very thoroughly over Mm -hmm. time. He doesn't do things quickly. Whenever he gives someone um, a, a task or a, a puts an anointing. Well, he on doesn't someone. always do things quickly. Most of the time, there's a process. A process. Yeah, a refining process. Um, what we refer to now as kind of like the wilderness. You know, mm-hmm. he takes you through the wilderness trials to prepare you for what he is mm-hmm. having you to do. 
And at this place, my, my, um, I thought I was ready. And the angels in, in heaven were laughing. You know? <laughs> oh, child, we have much refining to do on you. So I'm sitting in there painting and getting frustrated that our conversation is really nil and it's difficult to engage you. And I realized at that moment that it's difficult to engage you because this is intense trauma and I am not being as empathic as I should have should be. And I realized that in my spirit and God convicts me like you you just want to do the task. And for her, it's not a task. Like right. she has to go down trauma lane. She has to revisit the most traumatic memories of her life to put these things on paper. And oh, by the way, send it out to the public. And it's really funny because I learned from a very young age, probably maybe around nine or 10, to never put anything on paper. You don't want anybody else to know. And when I was younger, I used to write stuff all the time. And some of my journals had had been read and it was a huge violation to me. Mm. And so I got rid of them, almost all of them. And now looking back at it, being an adult and knowing what I know now, I think that was one way that Satan was trying to silence Mm -hmm. me, Um, even from a young age, you know, like, don't tell anybody these things, keep them to yourself Mm -hmm. you don't want people to know this and when god says write a book the first thing that i hear is never put anything on paper you don't want anybody to know well i never want anybody to know all of the traumatic things of my life you know right that the shame that goes with that you know and Mm. i was super young and the confusion that it causes in all aspects of life not just um family dynamics and relationships like friendships but like all aspects of life what love really is and what trust really is and just it makes everything confusing it jacks with every bit of truth yeah that's there and so i remember parts of that day but not a lot of that day and what We don't talk about a lot um, that I think we have mentioned, though, about dissociating in the previous Mm -hmm. episodes of the podcast. But I was in a semi-dissociative state that day, and I was in and out of Mm -hmm. consciousness, really. Yeah, who I was. And so you were getting only parts of me. Right. And And that's what happens when you're highly distressed. So dissociation, I mean, I'm going to kind of step into my clinical role here, but dissociation um, comes on um, subconsciously. You don't choose it. Yeah. Dissociation is an ability of the brain that, thank God, he put in there. Whenever we are engaging in something where we are witnessing or in a situation that is so deeply traumatizing that we cannot exist in our bodies, it is that bad. And so our brains will dissociate. We go to a different place, of, like an alternate place where we exist, where we don't fully have to experience that event. Yeah. And you learn to do that. I call it diaper trauma. Preverbal trauma um, creates 
that. I mean, trauma period creates it, but it is especially something that happens um, that we see um, the extreme versions of that whenever trauma is pre-verbal. It occurs um, before someone has speech and you had that. And so you are regularly dissociating as Mm -hmm. a very a a baby in the crib, you know, um, due to many things. And so but everyone has that capability of dissociating when life gets to be too much. Our brains don't ask us, hey, do we have permission to check out? I mean, there's, right. a con- there's a conscious checking out where we know life is hard and we may numb ourselves to addictive things or TV or anything mm-hmm. pleasurable. And that's conscious. You are or just ignore that. it. Flat ignore out it. ignore it. Right. You know? And we all, you know, seek pleasure, avoid pain. We're kind of wired to do that. We have to fight our flesh um to to face things because it's painful but dissociating is is not a conscious choice right it happens without your permission you go to you you flip to a different state because the current reality you're living in is too much mm-hmm. and your body without your permission switches streams of consciousness and so in this moment in march of 18 you're in my house and I'm having this conversation with you thinking I'm having a conversation <laughs> with you and you were just a little bit out of it. And I didn't know you were completely mm-hmm. out of yeah. parts of it because you had come to my house. You had come to a, a place to sit down and in the pit of trauma past and revisit it and put it on paper and send it out to the masses. And that was a little bit too much for your brain and your body mm-hmm. to handle. And I'm over here multitasking my painting project, (laughs) aware that you are highly distressed, but not aware that you are not with me completely. Yeah. And so you're really distressed. And I can see that you are, although I don't know at the time to to which degree that you are. But I was aware of how, uh, I guess, my lack of empathy. And I realized I don't have a frame of reference for this kind of pain that this person is in. She's being asked to do a task, which is the most terrifying thing a person could be asked following this kind of trauma. And I don't have that frame of reference of that kind of trauma at this point. I've never dissociated, and I think I've never had that level of pain in my life that I've had to leave my body and leave my reality in order to survive it. And so I recognize I have no idea what she's going through and I need to back off instead of get off my to-do list and my type A, uh, get it done personality. I need to put it on the back burner. And I said the words out loud. Well, um, before you say that, I, mm-hmm. I think up until this point also, it had been, you know, like six years, almost six years to the day. I mean, we were April yeah. to March, March and April difference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and being six years. and. Throughout that six years, while you understood from a clinical perspective what that trauma was for me, because you knew my uh, sexual abuse history and stuff, right. you know, and while you understood that from a clinical perspective, like um, walking out what that really means for me in my daily life when I'm triggered by something, you didn't have a perspective on that, right. you know, and when it came to the books and like you said, you're type A and you want to let's get this done. Let's get moving. What can we do? Are you working on this? Mm -hmm. You know, like you were constantly asking about those things. And there would be periods of time where both of us just had to like take a step back because 
you were frustrated with me and I was frustrated with you. Right. And it was because you thought things should be going faster. And I just didn't, I wasn't even there half the time. And I didn't know how to tell you that I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I just didn't know how to communicate that. So here we are this particular day and you had come to this realization and then you say, I said out loud, I, maybe I need a glimpse. I said, well, God, I give me a glimpse of what it's like to be in her skin. Cause I really don't know. Give me a glimpse. Oh my goodness. <laughs> be careful. Oh, listen up folks. Be careful what you utter past your, <laughs> past your lips. Cause there are, there's an unseen world that listens to it all. And God heard every bit of that. There, there, I said, I literally said, there is a part of me that would want, that wants a glimpse into your reality so that I can understand because I know I do not get it. Yeah. I clinically get it. I logically get it. I've sat with people in their, in their worst pain. I get it, but I'm not, I don't have a frame of reference for what it actually does to for, you. Right. For what it does to your brain, what it does to your body, how it tortures you. I don't, I don't know what that's like to go revisit that kind of torture. And what you also didn't have a good grasp on is that not only did I dissociate pretty regularly and have that, and that type of trauma, but I was regularly involved in spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. There was that unseen realm that you knew about, you know, obviously, but Mm -hmm. your experiences, your personal experiences with any kind of demonic attack, you didn't really have a frame of reference for like that. I don't see them. I haven't come face to face with them. I haven't felt them on me as you, you have been touched, not touched. You've been harmed (laughs) by them. And I, I, I could, I couldn't even fathom what that is like. And I've just to be clear, when confidentiality is in the contract, people tell you things. Mm-hmm. I have been hearing stories since I've been a therapist of demonic attack, overt, like what you have told me. And so when you hear all these stories that are similar, and people tell you because you can't go run out and tell anybody, of course, and and they're similar. Their patterns are similar. Their attacks are similar. They say similar things. I'm like, this is legit. This is, I mean, he put it in scripture. It must be true. He's not a liar. And if Ephesians 6 is true and he says, we're not at war with flesh and blood, we are not at war with flesh and blood. And I know that clinically. I know that spiritually. I know that logically. But I had not met it face to face at that point. And you were regularly encountering that. And on that same, in that same week when you visited, we put that together. You were wondering, you're like, I don't even remember how long this has been going on. It's been going on so mm-hmm. long. And he revealed um, in his own unique way that it was at age seven, you mm-hmm. had had an encounter. Um, and so since age seven, you were routinely seeing into the unseen world, like it or not desiring, praying, begging for this to go away, and it didn't. Yeah. It wasn't for lack of pursuit. I think you told me two years later at age nine, you walked yourself to Mm -hmm. church 
and held a meeting with the pastor of that church trying to get answers for what is going on with you. I mean, that's a, I have a nine-year-old. I cannot imagine my nine-year-old hightailing it out of the house to walk down the hill to the, to church to pick a pastor's brain. (laughs) That's, that's quite an incredible thing that you did when I just, you did it on answers. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot going on in my little brain, you know, and I, I was seeking out answers, but the people in my life at the time didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And they didn't, they had obviously hadn't met with, with that kind of warfare in and of themselves. And, you know, I'm just, God had a hedge of protection around me, even though it didn't feel like it at the time. Mm-hmm. I can see that now. And at the time, it felt like I was all alone. And that all these big scary things were happening to me and that no one could answer any of my questions. And and, and no one wanted to. And no, nobody wants to talk about that. And nobody wants to talk about that with a nine-year-old, mm-hmm. you know. And so, it, you know, it was hard. And a, a lot of that played out for me in different personalities. As I grew up, I, I dissociated more regularly and i mean we don't talk about this a lot but i had did also known as dissociative identity disorder or formerly multiple personality disorder so for those of y'all that don't know kind of have to take a clinical break and explain that because first of all it's kind of a controversial thing yeah even it is in 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 the public arena, but also very much in the clinical sector. There are people in clinical practice, both MDs and psychiatrists, clinicians that treat trauma. So it's controversial. Some people don't even believe it exists. Some people think it's not, not real. But if you treat trauma, if you especially specialize in treating trauma, you know that it's very real and it shows up when you try to heal trauma, because you have to bring people to a place of activation where their body remembers in some form, whether they remember cognitively, and the most reparative is if they remember in their body the trauma and recall that to reprocess it and heal it. And so in the course of that, people dissociate. Um, So dissociative identity disorder or multiple personality disorder, it is a real thing. And we know that very well. Um, mm-hmm. in, in the DSM, which is what we use to clinically diagnose disorders, I'm just going to read how it is described there because I think it does the best job and layman's terms are just really not needed here. So there are five specific um, criteria that are needed to qualify for this disorder. The first is a disruption of identity characterized by two or more distinct personality states, which may be described in some cultures as an experience of possession. The disruption in identity involves marked discontinuity in sense of self and sense of agency, accompanied by related alterations in affect, behavior, consciousness, memory, perception, cognition, and or sensory motor functioning. These signs and symptoms may be observed by others or reported by the individual. The second criteria is recurrent gaps in the recall of everyday events, 
important personal information, and or traumatic events that are inconsistent with ordinary forgetting. The third, the symptoms cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. Number four, the disturbance is not a normal part of a broadly accepted cultural or religious practice. Note, in children, the symptoms are not better explained by imaginary playmates or other fantasy play. And lastly, the symptoms are not attributed to the physiological effects of a substance. No blackouts or chaotic behavior during alcohol intoxication are at play here, or any other medical condition like seizures. So for those of you that do not speak DSM, what this is saying is that DID is whenever personalities switch from one to the next, and they are distinctly different. They have different ways of speaking, different cognitions, different memories and perceptions. They have different gaits. Um, They don't shift the same. They don't walk the same. It is a distinctly different person. They can hold different memories. One may not know what the other one knows. Also, there are recurrent gaps in memory and in the recall of everyday events. You may not remember when you're in one personality what the other one experienced. Mm -hmm. And some personalities may talk inside the mind and some don't. So some have awareness of the others and um, some have no awareness that they are a part or that they are, um, that there are other parts at play. So as you can imagine, when if someone's flipping in and out of, as you already can't imagine, you lived it. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. Who am I talking (laughs) to? But um, for you listening who don't have a frame of reference for this, if you're flipping into different states of states of consciousness, it kind of goes without saying that it's clinically significant, <laughs> it causes clinically significant distress because socially, you don't remember what you told one person or mm-hmm. the other. You don't remember what things you completed at work or you didn't because maybe somebody else did that task. And so it's hard to get things done. It's hard to operate in a consistent way because you're very inconsistent. Well, you're inconsistent, but you're also consistently inconsistent. Like, for example, there were certain parts of me that were, that would come out for certain events. Like when I was angry, there was a certain part that handled the anger. Mm. Whenever I was sad, there was a certain part that handled the sad, you know, um, even dealing with certain people or situations, there was one person that handles how we date. Another person handles how we operate at work. Yes. They operate in different arenas. So that's that can be very confusing whenever someone is um, healing, you know, and God done a miracle in me. And we will talk about that at some point. You know, this particular episode is not going to dive into all of that. But um, the different parts of my person have their own lives essentially because they handle different parts of me. Mm-hmm. And when those come together and I gain memories from the other parts and I let go of some parts that are no longer needed and things change, like there was a big shift that God was doing there. And he had a purpose in all of that the same way he had a purpose in this conversation that we were having that day. Right. And to get back to that, after you said the words that, you know, you, how, did, how exactly did you say that? I said, God, there's a part of me that 
wants a glimpse into her life so that I can grow some empathy here because I have no frame of reference. Yeah. And after you said that, like we had no idea um, what was going to happen that night or even in the future. Like as far as what we thought would happen, we didn't have a frame of reference for what's to come. But the day went on and we I ended up going. We ended up going our separate ways. I went home and you and I were talking on the phone and Mm -hmm. you were home alone. And then I don't know, you can go into. Right. I wasn't I wasn't. I didn't have any family here. My now ex and our kids were on a trip for a few days, and the plan was they were going to be gone, so we were going to get some work done. And so you go home, and I'm by myself in my house, and it's probably, goodness, I'm a, I'm a night owl, so you had probably left late. It was probably midnight. And um, midnight's late for me. You you put some shame in my night owl <laughs> game. I mean, you can really hang on. Um, but so it's like midnight, and I'm listening to music, and I I'm listening to this Mumford and Sons song that really strikes a warfare chord with me. And I was like, I've got to call her and and let her listen to these lyrics because we are not food. We say we're not music friends. We're not food friends. We have lots of things <laughs> that we do not agree about. Um, and music is usually not one of those things. So Mumford and Sons, my favorite band, and I'm listening to this and, um, I call her up and I'm reading these lyrics out to you. I'm like, friend, listen to this. And all of a sudden I hear a loud crash. It sounds like someone is upstairs in my daughter's room throwing furniture around. And I look over and at the time believe she was still in a crib because we had a monitor. You know, the baby monitor was in our room and we had one of these old school monitors, not these fancy video monitors. It was from long ago. And the screen or the the light on it stays dark when there is no sound. It went all the way to the other side and lit up the entire screen. The entire span of that light spectrum was lit up. And so what I thought I heard, I was like, surely not. And so I was trying to convince myself I did not hear loud bang upstairs. But then I see the light and I know I heard what I heard because I saw the light. And I just froze. I was on the phone with you and I just froze. And I was like, uh, I just heard this. And you were like, well, get a shotgun. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. You're like, make sure you check everything. And I was like, Ooh. So I grab a gun from the closet. I have no idea what to do with it. It's just uh, I'm hoping to intimidate someone if they're up there, you know. I grab this gun and I have my phone and I'm like traipsing up the stairs like what in the world am I going to encounter? And I open up, turn on the light, open up the door. Nothing is disturbed. On the monitor, it's I mean, it literally sounded like someone was picking up furniture and crashing it into walls. And I thought, this is impossible. I know what I heard. Like, what fell? You know, and I was looking all around and you were like, friend, look behind, look behind the door, look behind, make sure you look everywhere you can. And so I was looking everywhere. And I mean, almost instantly I realized, oh, crap, my this is not physical. This is a spiritual attack. And I I'm I run down the stairs with that shotgun and I was like, dang it, I need a spiritual shotgun Mm -hmm. because this is not going to help me. And I run down to my bedroom and you're like, close the door. I'm like, oh, yeah, because demons don't ever walk through walls. I'm sure I'll be safe closing the door and locking it. But I did do that. Anyway, I closed my bedroom door and locked it. 
And I am frozen at this point. I mean, I have never felt up until this point in my life, I have never been so terrified I could not move. But I was shaking. And I was like, I had my Bible next to me. And I was like, all the things I knew to do was like, okay, I pray. I use, you know, God's authority. I say, Jesus, I say, you know, what do I need to do? But my thinking brain wasn't working. So it was just in panic mode. My amygdala, that little almond shaped part of your brain that tells you to be afraid of things. um, It was in full force and or I thought it was until I continued to talk to you. And as we're talking, I pull open my Bible and it falls open. I'm like, I'm just going to read scripture. It falls open to the Babylonian fall of Satan. I'm like, oh, this is comforting. (laughs) And so I read just where it fell open. And it's, (sighs) and as I read the words, my bedroom door, it's, it starts shaking violently. Like someone is beating on it, trying to get into me. And I, I thought I was scared at that point. At that point, all cognition leaves and I'm frozen and I can't move my body. I'm literally scared stiff. And I'm not able to move. I'm not able to think. I, I, I have never felt fear move through my body the way that it moved through my body in that moment. And I was trying to find words and trying to find any ability to do anything. And I couldn't. I was just paralyzed, temporarily paralyzed. And it radically changed me. Um, So from eventually, and I, you know, of course, know this clinically speaking, that when we are in our most fearful state, we do lose access to our cognitive brain, we lose access to our verbal skills, our what we know, and what what is true, and all the things you you think you can you can use in the moment your skills your skills leave you when you're hijacked emotionally well they can they can well and they definitely people have mm-hmm. different reactions you know right they can't that's some people tr- don't that's freeze, true you know some people mm-hmm. flee or some people fight you know mm-hmm. like that is true that is true but you definitely lose connection to what is logically sound yes um and that expresses itself with different people in different ways but for me i could not find all the things i knew and so in that moment, you were the one, for the first time, our relationship flipped. I'm <laughs> usually in therapy mode or processing with you mode through this said difficult thing or challenge. And now the role is reversed and you're praying over me and you're coaching me and talking to me. And I'm just sitting there like a stone shaking. And eventually I get my words and you get your way, you know, we, we come to more of a regular, I come to a more regulated state and I flipped the page in my Bible and it was all about the power of God. And I start reading about the power of God and how the Lord is my refuge and my strength and he is my fortress. And, and so as I'm reading those words, I'm coming back into myself. Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you're not sure how to turn it into reality? You need Ready, Set, Podcast. They make it super easy to create your own podcast. They can help record, edit, and publish your idea. They have prices to fit any budget and options for both hobbyists and professional podcasters. So if you have an idea, reach out to them for a free consultation on their website or social media 
at www.readysetpodcast.xyz. Ready, Set, Podcast, turning your brilliant idea into reality. And so as I read those words, I pray and I, I can feel that, that God's authority is, is moving in me and I feel a little more comforted by that, but I'm still very afraid and I'm still alone in a, in a house. And I can't go down the street. I have a good neighbor down the street who I'm close to. And I thought, wouldn't it feel a little bit better just go like spend the night at their house or something? And I thought, what can I do? You know, I don't, what can, they can't really do anything about this. You know, it is what it is. You know, there's, I'm not going to seek refuge down there. The, the unseen world can follow me down there. It's not like I'm really, there's nowhere to escape. If, if I, just stay here and pray and ask the Lord to do what the Lord can do, then that's the next best move. So that's what I did. And so we prayed and then I went to bed and I I slept like a statue. I don't think I moved and my body was a rigid rock the whole night. And I woke up and every muscle in my body felt like it had been beaten. I felt like I was bruised from the inside out. And I thought Okay, holy crap. Uh, I don't want any more glimpses. I told God after that, I was like, I take back what I said. I don't want any of her. I don't want any of her life anymore. I got enough. No, thank you, sir. I shut this door. I'm sorry I opened it. I do not want any more. Don't let them come visit me. I don't want, I don't want to see them. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want none of this. I got my glimpse and we're done. And <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> For you, you set into motion something. But what we know is that it was always going to be set into motion. Because there was a point when you were going to get these things one way or the other. Because it's part of the journey that he is walking with us on. And it it just so happens in that moment, you thought that you were taking back your (laughs) your glimpse. (laughs) You know, but in reality, it was just the beginning. Mm-hmm. Of what was to come in the next two years. Oh uh, yeah, like he was like, "You like them apples? Here's a whole bag of apples. <laughs> have two. Have a have a cart full of these same apples." Oh yeah, you just never know. I had no idea what was being set into motion, and so yeah, you asked for a glimpse into my life, and we thought in that moment that the glimpse that you were getting was that spiritual warfare aspect. What we didn't realize is that God was going to give you a glimpse into my life, your real my life. whole life, my mm-hmm. real life, which is more than just spiritual warfare. It was the dissociative state that I lived my life in, that I walked through life in. And you didn't have a frame of reference for that. No. You didn't know what that looked like. No. And that's ultimately where this journey led to. Right. Unfortunately, unfortunately, all wrapped up in one. Because when God is calling us to something, he has to get us ready. He has to let us be refined. He has to clean us up. And he was going to use that, that ask, that declaration, or that, that um, I don't know what you call it, agreement or um, desire. I had a part of me that desired to know you more so that I could have empathy. And he was going to use that to clean me up. 
and to refine me and to pull out the things in me that needed to change so that I would be the person he needs me to be when he calls me into certain tasks and certain positions. And at the time when when this occurred, you and I did not know that you had DID. I just knew that you were a little bit weird sometimes. <laughs> that's kind of all I knew. I was like, she is in it. She's in this mood. And that's kind of what your family thought as well. Like she's in this mode or she's in this mood. Well, they would notice a significant change here or there, but they, they just, it was my normal with them, you know? Mm-hmm. So they, while they noticed that there was a change or that I would be a different, I would have a different attitude or a different. Yeah. Um, disposition. Body language or, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, di- different disposition. That Those things changed. And it's not that everybody can't have those things because we all have, you know, we all get angry and act a different way. But there's a distinct difference when your voice changes, when your body language changes, when your demeanor, when your walk, when you're there, there's a difference. Mm-hmm. And you're even different ages and different developmental stages. Right. And at this time, I didn't have clinical experience with DID in March of 18 that I knew of. If it had happened, it was so subtle. And sometimes the the switch, as I call it, or the flip with these personalities is so subtle, a therapist won't detect it. Cause, and, and their family members who know people and have watched them throughout their entire life don't detect it. So at this point, I didn't have that. But in the course of, um, from this, from this, I would say kind of attack to about two years in, in that two year time period, God sent me people that had severe trauma, that had dissociative personalities, that had um, similar things going on with them. Well, and also you and I continued our talk about what was happening, what was going on. Um, in your world and in my world. And we talked more openly and honestly, and you began to see things in me, those patterns in me mm-hmm. that were pointing towards DID. Mm-hmm. Yes. What was also very significant about that week that we met is there was a breakthrough in our personal relationship. Because mm-hmm. I used to be, when we first had met years ago, um, now it's like 16 years. That's crazy. But about 16 years ago, I was your therapist and you were my client in grad school. Well, this now had been, gosh, I don't even know how many years, 10-ish years mm-hmm. after. And so we had been very removed from those kinds of roles, but there was still that I am in more of a helping role and you're still in distress mode sometimes. Well, and for me, I still was in distress. Right. I right. still was right. um, in a place that, in a headspace that was not... fully healed Mm -hmm. and although i knew that we were friends and that we were doing some kind of thing that god had us doing like we didn't know the extent of what all he had us doing at that time absolutely not but it didn't feel it didn't always feel that way for me it felt the the relationship felt lopsided for a long time and i always felt like i was not equal to you Mm -hmm. in our in our relationship you know Mm -hmm. and and this attack specifically put that position, changed that position mm-hmm. where now I'm the one in need of help. I'm the one in need of someone to calm them or, you know, help regulate them, pray help over explain, them. explain like what, yeah. what, what's going on and yeah. what, that this is, this happens and that this is part of spiritual warfare. And yeah, yeah. So what God 
began to do in me in my clinical work at that point, I always say, God, put the people, put the butts on my couches that you want there. And no, nobody sits down on my couch unless it is a divine appointment because they are prayed over. I pray over my past, present and future clients all the time. And so everybody that I saw whenever I would, I was starting to get more highly traumatized people. Um, specifically, I got clients with this, that have DID. And I didn't know what to do with them because it's a very highly specialized kind of training how to handle it. And there's lots of controversy about how you should handle it and how you shouldn't handle it. And um, it's hard to even find clinicians to talk to about it because some don't even want to go there. And so I, I was getting these cases and I was like, God, what are you doing? Like, what are you trying to show me? Because at this time, I didn't know you had DID. I didn't know, you know, I just didn't know a whole lot about it, but I had to on my own with the Lord, not really on my own actually at all, with him and his guidance, he was trying to get me trained up and prepared to help these people. Um, and so, and lucky you, you had someone sitting in your living room. It was a very great training ground. (laughs) you could practice with. (laughs) He's funny. God be crazy after all. He has strange methods, but they're very effective. (laughs) Yeah. So I was getting these clients and he introduced me at that point. I got prompted to, um, get trained in brain spotting, which is a brain-based trauma therapy. And oh my goodness, it took the level of therapy, it took the the kind of clinical training that I had with these people to a whole other level. And so whenever I went to go get, that was a significant change, and we're not going to go into all of that right now, but whenever I went to that training, I remember the breakthrough that I got personally in my life and the breakthrough that I saw with other people. I said to to my colleague that was with me, I was like, Satan is pissed. People were getting set free from traumas they had held for a lifetime, lies that they held onto and believed, and they were just sobbing them off their body. It was incredible to to witness it. And I thought to myself during that training, I mean, this with the power of prayer, like inviting God into this space, which is what I had done in my own training session. So whenever you get trained, you have to work with your own traumas and your own pain. And I invited the Lord to, I was like, God guide this. And the experience that he gave me and the way that he talked to me during that session was life-changing. I mean, I, I worked on an issue with my mom, grieving my mom, and he spoke. I had never heard the Lord that clearly at that point. And it had it really changed me. And so I started it. It really changed how I operated in the therapy room. And I started giving God way more of the authority. But at the same time, in very subtle ways, I wasn't noticing how all of that breakthrough. I was taking more credit for that than I should. (laughs) Don't we all do that, though? It's something that we all should be mindful of. It's because it's so easy out of habit for us to to take. The credit that in actuality goes to him. Mm-hmm. Like he builds, he builds us a certain way to be able to do good, good work um, and creates us for not what, we, what feels like natural abilities, but he actually put it there. 
And so as I was witnessing all of these breakthroughs in my clinical work, I was just driving to work expecting great things to happen all day long, getting excited about that and anticipating it constantly. And then cue the sound effect. (laughs) Everything changed. And I had an experience where in the blink of an eye, totally unexpected, I got a real glimpse of your life. Mm -hmm. I had a week out of nowhere. Life was going great, I thought. And then out of nowhere, I have a week of being in a dissociative state. And just so you don't know, if you've never been in one, you don't know you're in one when you're in one. (laughs) You're not conscious of that. And so for a week of my life, I acted out of character. We went through the DSM diagnostic criteria. Right. You know, same thing. I acted completely out of character. My sense of self and personality were different. Um, Every one of those, I, I ticked the box. You know, every aspect of my life was affected. Um, Specifically, I am hypoglycemic. I have to eat. I have a history of passing out if I do not eat frequently. And um, not only um, was that affected, I didn't I didn't eat very much food. I lost when I came out of this state, I had realized, oh, I got stepped on the scale. Clothes weren't fitting. I lost 10 pounds in five days. That is. That's never happened in the history of my life. Mm-hmm. I also am not able to go longer than a few hours without eating. Um, I didn't exercise, which I usually do very frequently. I didn't drink coffee. I remember realizing, oh, I didn't, I didn't drink any coffee this week. Why didn't I drink any coffee? Well, wasn't me. <laughs> um, my sleep was disturbed every night. Typically, I never wake up. I'm a brick. I fall asleep and I wake up whenever I'm supposed to wake up. And that is... I never get woken up. Um, I drove places with Mm -hmm. no memory of how I got there. I talked to people that I had no memory of talking to. I talked to you, and I didn't remember talking. After this week happened, you were like, remember whenever you said blah, blah, blah? I was like, I talked to you this week? I thought I was calling you after a a week of not talking. Yes, and it was multiple times, not just one conversation you and I spoke Two or three times that week. Mm-hmm. And there were just, there were, and you weren't the only one that I was just, it was just like a haze. And there were many events that I could not recall. And I typically have a vivid memory. I mean, I, I'm currently writing a memoir and I can recall vivid. I mean, I could write a whole book just about zero to age five. That's how vivid my memories typically are. But not that week. It was just a haze. And I normally have great recall. But um, in that in that week, it took so much out of me. I mean, physically just recovering from something like that. And just to just to be clear, like this was not just straight dissociation. When I asked for that glimpse, it literally was the the full glimpse. I had the spiritual warfare stuff happening at the same time as the DID dissociation stuff was going on. I got that, I got a full seven days (laughs) of your life. And even a month after this happened, you and I just unpacked it together because Mm -hmm. there was so much confusion. I did not, I I could not 
put a narrative together. And that is, I've never not been able to narrate the story of my life and make sense of it and regulate my emotions and put things together. I couldn't put this story together. And so we sat down over the course of a couple days, a weekend, Mm -hmm. and you said, go, like, we're going line by line, like event by event, every little thing that you can remember, let's try to unpack it and put it together. And that took all weekend. And so, as you can imagine, there are a lot of, a lot of pieces to this story that we're not going to go into. But when we did that, (laughs) that when when we finally wrapped on that, do you remember what you said to me? Um, something about getting the glimpse into my life. I don't remember the exact yeah. words. You you looked at me and you were like, "You you wanted that glimpse. There's your glimpse, friend. Welcome to my life." Yeah. And I was like, "What? This is it? This is what you were talking at? Like this is how have you lived? Like I was like how." Have you survived life like this? You were 39 at the time. I was like, 39 years of this chaos? What? I couldn't believe it. Well, I did it fragmented, literally. Mm-hmm. My mind was fragmented, and I had the different parts to play their roles. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how I survived. Mm-hmm. But... For this week, for you, you know, a lot changed. A lot changed. You're right. Uh, a lot changed. Um, everything about me for that week was very, very different. My identity was different. Yeah. Every aspect of my life was different. And coming out of it, I was just, it was really just like being in a fog. And then when you check back in, you're like, um, someone tell me, what's the recap on this last week? <laughs> I'm going to need an instant replay, you know, but it did. It's, it stole a lot from me. It took, it took many months just to repair um, my trust within myself and my trust in God. Because prior to this week, I trusted myself. I trusted my judgment. I've, I have been pursuing and praying for wisdom from God for so many years of my life and trying to um, sit at his feet. Um, for so long and so in in kind of like an overnight way um, I was like what is going on with me what is happening here and I also didn't there was a break in trust with God I was mad at him I was like I thought you would protect me from this level of attack like this was insane and you let them do this like I just got I was like, what? You know, that something that you said right there, that I thought you would protect me from this level mm-hmm. of attack. That's a commonly held belief by a lot of people in society today, and especially a lot of um, Christians. Christians. And th- <laughs> that God is only for your good and all these things. And that that is true. God is for our good, and we are his children, and he does want the best for us. But over and over and over, the scripture is clear that we will suffer for righteousness sake. Job did. I mean, the whole, there's a whole book written for oh, it. There's a book, a whole book of the whole Bible I, talks amen. about. Mm-hmm. That's, all, that's all it talks about other than 
the redemption story of Christ, obviously. I mean, that's the main goal. But, I mean, as it talks about how people walk out mm -hmm. their um, discipleship to Christ, it, it tells repeatedly of the trials and things that they suffer. And for some reason, we have this um, idealized image of what Christianity is and that, oh, um, we'll have some hard times or whatever, but it won't be to that degree hard times, mm -hmm. you know? And then when something does happen that is to a degree like that, where you have a traumatic experience, a, um, a death that's instant or sudden that's traumatic or, you know, a rape or um, maybe you're involved in a murder or a mugging or a mass shooting or um, your baby goes to school and doesn't come home. Those kind of things are traumatic events. And we we quickly realize that we're like, God, where are you? Why are you doing this to me? Mm -hmm. Those are our first things because we, we think we, we shouldn't experience that because, yeah. you know, we're his. And it's so conf it's so confusing, and in the in the months and even years that have followed this week, it has been so important. And I cannot stress to anyone who's gone through anything. And if you're on Earth, yeah, you stepped in trauma. Well, and if you <laughs> haven't gone through something personally, you will. Yes, there for sure, it's coming. Rarely anyone get goes through this life unscathed. A trauma will will touch you. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, in the in the couple months, I think after our big powwow, a couple weeks after that, um, my preacher's wife uh, came to me. We had been talking about it off and on. And she came to me and said, the Holy Spirit um, gave me a word about your situation. And she said, um, he asked me to ask you, how badly do you want to know what happened to you? And I was like, oh, I want to know. Do you know? I'm like, my middle name is Curious. And so she said, well, he said, you're not going to get the information that you want. You're not going to get the answers you want from anyone but him directly. Because he's the only one that knows everything. There's no human you can go seek counseling from that's going to tell you. And that's going to be able to put this together for you in the ways that you need to get it. And she said, how badly do you want to know? And I was like. I want to know. And she's like, well, then go seek it. You know, this, you, you have to seek it. And so I began regularly going to the Lord. We've talked about wrestle time, purple blanket, man. I was, I was going to him, pursuing, crying out, asking questions, confused. Oh man, I was, <laughs> me and God, God saw all sides of of Bonnie Thomas during that. And I didn't hold anything back from him. And um, during that, I, I kept a journal and a log of different things that he was revealing to me about me, about people in my life, um, and about, I mean, goodness, I mean, there's too many layers of that to really unpack in, in the time that we have. But seeking him first for answers. Sometimes we get answers for what we go through, and sometimes we don't. And I was thankful in this to get some answers for what he was doing in my life. What, that, what it revealed to me about my own self is that, I mean, we all have areas that need to be cleaned up. 
Mm-hmm. But I had to repent in the wake of this. I had to repent from, I mean, I guess this is the way I put it, stealing God's thunder. Yeah. Like I was acting in my own power and my own authority in sessions. And honestly, if you're a Christian counselor, if you are a Christian or if you are a counselor who is sold out believer or a Christian, we, we are trained very much to do clinical work. It's a clinical world. But when you also carry that name of follower of God, disciple of Christ, we are to be in allegiance to him first, not to our profession. And if he calls us and prompts us to do what he's asked us to do, we obey. We obey that. Mm -hmm. And if we're trained in some area that says this is how we're going to practice and it completely violates God's law, you got to make a choice. And in this, in this trial that I went through, it cleaned that up for me. It was like, you've got to be loyal to me first. You have got to be willing to do what I prompt you to do, even if you don't understand it. You've got to be willing to give me all of your, your professional practice. You have to be willing to give me everyone and go to me first for how and what you should do with your clients and not just with my clients and in my professional life. I mean, this, he was calling me to surrender all of my life and look at all aspects of my life. Yes. So it was like he was calling you to take a personal inventory of all areas of your life and all the relationships that are in your life, especially um, the people that you're close to. You know, the enemy capitalized on areas of weakness in those personal relationships and you were able to come to an awareness of that. Yeah. Yeah. I even, you know, this just popped into my head. I remember talking with my husband at the time and saying to him in the course of working on writing the book. And I said, um, I was kind of picking up on that things were not as they should be and things um, with him where I felt and detected secret things going on. And I actually was prompted by the spirit to warn him. And I said, whatever's going on here needs to get cleaned up. Cause you know, if it's not, we're getting attacked. Like this is an area of weakness that the enemy will exploit at some point. And he just stared at me. <laughs> And that was an opportunity years before this ever came into, um, in years before this ever came about, to clean those things up. But that that never got cleaned up, and so it got readily exposed. In the wake of this, I started looking at all aspects of of my relationships and how I had handled those, and what that revealed to me is you know, some of the people closest to me. Instead of coming to me to talk to me about things or to ask me how I'm doing, people just went behind my back and whispered. Mm -hmm. And that revealed a lot about the character of the people that I was closest to or about it told me who I can trust and who I can't. And honestly, it drove me more and more into the secret place with God because I did not, the people I had known for decades of my life were not even willing to come to me directly and ask a question. But instead, they would go to each other, talk about me, 
and not mention anything to me. Well, and that's also um, just goes to show how cunning and manipulative um, the enemy can be and the tools and tricks that he has cultivated over um, thousands of years of living here on the earth. Mm -hmm. And he's the father of lies, Mm -hmm. you know, and he plants little seeds of doubt and little seeds of confusion. And he infiltrates um, homes and friendships and um, workplace relationships with those little lies and half truths. And when he does that, then that seed of doubt is planted and you know, even in your past relationships that some of the close friendships that you talk about, you know, like they believed those lies and instead of coming to you to have an adult conversation, right? they listened to the enemy. And when something didn't add up, when they heard one thing and saw another or vice versa, instead of saying, Bonnie. What is happening? Mm-hmm. Is something going on? Can I pray for you? Or, mm-hmm. you know, is there something that we can work on? They just completely drop out of your life and then make it out to be like you leave their life. It's it's crazy to me. Yeah. The way that the enemy manipulates things. Right. A lot, a lot of things. A lot of conflict and confusion and gossip and slander spun around in the months and and even years after that. Mm -hmm. Um, But what it did give me the gift of is it it reveals when you go through hell on earth, Mm -hmm. the people that walk in that wilderness with you, you, I mean, you will, you will know who your real friends are. Yeah. Those, as I was being tried and tested, so were the other relationships in my life. Mm -hmm. And God is moving me currently. He has been shifting me into a new position. And we are going to go all into that, but that's coming up. You know, that's coming up. We're going to share that with y'all in the coming months, what he's been doing. And, And in order to prepare you and I for that, he took us through these trials and he also as he's cleaning up our hearts and cleaning up our motives Uh and cleaning up our sin he also is cleaning up the relationships in our life and and when he moves you into a new position he not everybody goes with you that's right and not everybody can go with you into that position and i'm looking at my life with a whole new set of lens i used to wear rose-colored glasses you know i used to trust people until they give me a reason not to. And even whenever they give me a reason not to, I would think the best in them. And now I know, like, we live in a really broken world. A really corrupt world. A really corrupt world where the the father of lies, our enemy, Satan, lives here. And he has been mastering. He has beyond a PhD. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it takes X number of years to get a PhD in our lifetime, think of how many how skilled and crafty he is at at breaking us down at dissension at lying to us and lying to um lying and manipulating us about who we are who our identity is god's love for us and also 
relationships that we can enjoy if they are done, you know, if they are, if they are done in God's way, they can be so different, but he corrupts them. You know, he does. And he, in second Corinthians, it talks about how he blinds the minds of unbelievers and he holds them in his snare. And what breaks that is the gospel, you know, and he, he is given power uh, and dominion in here. This place on earth. And Jesus calls him the prince or ruler of this world in John. You know, Paul calls him the God of this age and the ruler of the authority of the air. You know, in Job, the story of Job, he was able to take the lives of Job's children. He was able to ruin Job's health and he has a lot of power and a lot of that is through the power that that god gave him Mm -hmm. and it ought to make us very aware vigilant very vigilant Mm -hmm. to be paying attention and to be in earnest prayer persistently asking for god's power because when the enemy is a supernatural enemy, our weapons that we are fighting him with have to be supernatural weapons. Mm-hmm. Things change. And this whole experience where you, I know you, we call it hell week for you, mm-hmm. you know, but th- this whole experience has prepared you and it is continuing to prepare you for the realities of what is to come. Correct. You know, and God is going to do amazing things. He he is continuing to do amazing things. He is still a God of miracles That's right. and he is saving he's saving souls. He is not done mm-hmm. with this world despite what some may believe. He's alive and well. He he is and he's got he's got plans. And I'm so excited to see mm-hmm. the way that he works through the struggles of his people. Because mm-hmm. many times in scripture, I've found this to be so true in my life from reading the scripture and the relationship that I've cultivated through Christ, through my wrestle with him, mm-hmm. is that when I am at my weakest, when I'm at when I feel most alone. That is when I'm nearest to him because he's the only one we can truly rely on. Mm -hmm. You know, we may have a great friend and a great spouse or a great family, but ultimately, and those things are great. I'm not not knocking that. But ultimately, the person that we ought to trust first and foremost is Christ. And in those moments where our perception of reality is different from our family's perception or our friend's perception mm-hmm. or our struggle with a belief or a boundary or a moral or ethical issue comes up. The person that we ought to get our answer from is God because he is the only one mm-hmm. that we will answer to. And when Jesus ascended, He left us the helper of the Holy Spirit, and I love that he is called the helper. He he is our help here 
He gives us information that we otherwise would not have. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit active and working in you, how are you going to be able to discern what is true and what is a lie? Because what comes out of people's mouth ain't always the truth. And I have learned that in spades in the last year and a half, two years of my life. And those little, those little half-truths. Mm-hmm. Sometimes to me, those are the worst. They are the worst. Especially when they come from a pulpit or in the form of a trusted friend or advisor or family member or loved one or, Mm -hmm. you know, people do the best that they can do sometimes. Sometimes they're living in that and they are living a sold out life to Christ. And sometimes they just say they are. Mm-hmm. And they do what they want. Their heart really isn't in it. And we're not to judge the heart, but we are to judge the fruit. And that's Satan, worth repeating. Yes. <laughs> and Satan has his role to play in fanning the flames of this refining furnace that God has us in right now and that God has lots of people in. If he yes. is preparing you for a season that, is different than the one you're in now, if he's calling you to something higher, he will refine you. And he will, in that refining fire, you will be changed. Your environment has changed. The people that you surround yourselves now, that those may be totally different people. Um, but I know, th- I know for sure that in this trial season that I've been in, and it kind of has felt like it has gone on for a number of years at this point, but <laughs> Um, I constantly listen to the song New Wine because it the lyrics speak to this situation. It says, in the crushing and in the pressing, you are making new wine out of me. And the song goes on to say that, you know, there is a whole new fire and all new flames whenever you go through this refining mm-hmm. fire. Um, I also love and was comforted by so much Second um, Corinthians 12, 9 which he has comforted me through many trial seasons of my life. And it says, for my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. God delights in using our weaknesses to expose his strength and give him the glory. Mm -hmm. And I have seen so much fruit come out of this trial and as horrible as it was to experience, I wouldn't take it back. Yeah. I'm glad it happened. And I'm glad it revealed what it needed to reveal. And I'm glad it changed what it needed to change in me. And if you're, if you're finding yourself walking in one of those places, those wilderness places, or feeling like you're being pressed and refined, take this opportunity to ask God earnestly to search your heart and tell you if there's anything that you need to change. Yeah, like David did in Psalm 139, whenever he asked God, he said, search me and know me, like know my thoughts and pull out anything in me that needs to be changed and lead me in the way everlasting. Thanks for listening to the God Be Crazy podcast. 
If the message of the podcast resonates with you, please make sure to subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode. We also encourage you to rate and review it on your favorite podcast platform. By doing this, you may help others hear the podcast as well. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or just share it the good old fashioned way. Talk about it with the people in your life. It is our hope that you will be blessed and strengthened by the truth and crazy love of God.